Welcome back to another bonus episode of The Good, The Bad and The Backlog. I am your host, Adam, and today we have, from Play Your Way podcast, Brian Miller. Welcome. Yes, yes. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Excuse the voice break. <laughs> Brian Miller. <laughs> uh, sorry, what was that? <laughs> Brian Miller. <laughs> All right, one more time. No, I'm not your performing <laughs> monkey. <laughs> All right, so welcome to the podcast. Please tell the listeners who you are, where you're from, um, and what your podcast is about. For sure. Again, thank you for having me um, on the Good, Bad, and the Backlog, which, by the way, I I love that uh, name of the podcast because if you have listened over at Play Your Way podcast, where I'm from, uh, you know that backlogs are kind of like the good and the bad of my gaming life. Like, I am trying so hard to make my backlog non-existent yep. so the yeah when i when i saw that i was like yes i can relate so much <laughs> to one day i will not relate because i'll never have a backlog i'm gonna play one game at a time but anyway uh thank you for having me my name is brian miller i'm one of the hosts over at player way along with ethan mace and uh, yeah well you know we're we're a gaming podcast we talk about how we like to play um and encourage others to play how you want to so we have a lot of hot takes and that's okay because we are playing how we want to if you like that kind of stuff come on and check us out yeah and you guys are a relatively new podcast as well. You're only up to, what, 11, 11 12 episodes? Yeah, we just started in uh, December 2020, a very odd time to start a podcast, but hey, we did it. Yeah, and I have been listening since pretty much the beginning, I think. And yeah. my favorite part about your podcast is that you guys, and you in particular, have a unique perspective about some of the games that you play. And why is that? So, yeah, me in particular, um, I... I I've always played games, but I've only stuck to two games ever really in my life. Three, technically. Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh! and Call of Duty in different time periods. Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! Elementary and middle school, and then Call of Duty dedicated my high school years. And yep, that's my gaming experience. But now, I am coming at, you know, ever since 2018, which is not that long ago, I have been on a really a redemption process of playing all those classics that I missed really and going diving deep into collecting you know when it comes to retro games but yeah I missed out on the Zeldas and the and the Marios um, and all the PlayStation exclusives and the RPGs like it is a foreign concept to me um, I, I, I've learned a lot about it in the past three years and I've played a good amount of games so far but yeah, I have a lot of hot takes that can you know, really are just my perspective as someone kind of new to to all of this. But yeah, it's it's been interesting. Yeah, it's like a quest to uh, broaden your horizons and play all the games that you missed out on in the early days. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, there, that's why I have a backlog. <laughs> well, speaking about quests, what is the game that we are talking about today? The Legend of Zelda: Minish Cap. Legend of Zelda The Minish Cap is an action-adventure game and the 12th entry in the Legend of Zelda series. It was developed by Capcom and produced by Nintendo, so it is one of the few games that were developed by Capcom, who also developed the Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons, and uh, a couple of other ones. I can't remember which ones. Four Swords. Uh, Doesn't matter. Anywho, uh, it was directed by Hidemaro Fujibayashi. 
who was a director at Capcom and then has later gone on to work for Nintendo themselves and also worked on the Phantom Hourglass, Skyward Sword, and directed Breath of the Wild. Minish Cap was also produced by Keiji Inafune, who is famous for doing the Mega Man series, uh, Dead Rising, Lost Planet, Onimusha, and uh, later left Capcom to work for Level 5. So, a couple of big names on this one here, and um, yeah, Legend of Zelda Minish Cap was released on Game Boy Advance in 2004 in Europe and 2005 in North America and Australia. And uh, that's it. (laughs) Yeah, one of the cool things, too, it actually came out on the Wii U Virtual Console in 2014, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, it's also available on, and how I played it was Virtual Console on 3DS. So, um, yeah, I bought a 3DS of somebody who had this game loaded onto it. So I was like, okay, I'll play it that way. That's fantastic. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that you sort of missed a lot of the Legend of Zelda games um, in your youth. So what is your history with the franchise? So it's an interesting one. I've played a total of five Zelda games from the span of 2019 to now 2021. Uh, My very first Zelda game I ever played, which some would say, okay, that's a fantastic one to start out with. But knowing me, I'm surprised I actually even completed it. But it was Ocarina of Time right. on the N64 in 2019. Um, and I'll say this, like, I, I powered through it. I got through it. And it was my first ever N64 game I ever played. So learning the controls, learning the controller, learning Zelda, learning Nintendo, learn like, there, it was a lot of firsts for me. And I also played Breath of the Wild, Link's Awakening Remake, and Four Swords Adventure. Didn't play Link's Awakening, the original, obviously, but boy was Link's Awakening remake a pretty, it was a pretty good game to play as my second Zelda game. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And then the big boy, Breath of the Wild. Wow. Yep. That's a whole nother episode, a whole nother discussion. But yes, we, we know, we know about Breath of the Wild. And Four Swords Adventures, I played that one actually co-op with my wife. And if you know anything about Four Swords Adventures um, on the GameCube co-op, I'm going to let you research it. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. So my history with the game is that uh, Legend of Zelda on Nintendo Entertainment System was the very first video game I had ever played. And I played it probably around the ages of somewhere between four and six um, for reference, people, I am turning 33 in about a month's time, so I'm old. <laughs> but Legend of Zelda has a very special place in my heart for being the first ever video game that I played, not just the first Zelda game. And since then, I have always been a Nintendo fanboy. I moved up from the NES to the Super Nintendo. I didn't play the... Which one does the Super Nintendo one? It's the Link, uh, Link to the Past. That's it. Yes. I didn't play that. Um, I don't think it was even available in Australia, but didn't play it. Still haven't played it. Maybe one day I will. And then I jumped to Nintendo 64, where, of course, I played Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask. And then, of course, GameCube was Wind Waker, Wii, Twilight Princess. I skipped Skyward Sword. And then I did uh, Breath of the Wild, which I still haven't finished. And I've done a couple of the handheld ones. Uh, no, that's a lie. I've only done Link's Awakening on the original Game Boy Color, and then I sort of skipped the rest. So I didn't do Minish Cap when it was released, and this was my first time playing it. So 
uh, it had kind of big shoes to fill, I guess, since I yeah. was a big fan of the franchise. Maybe less so now, but that's a discussion that we could probably get into a little bit later. <laughs> yes. But uh, yeah, you would think that for all intents and purposes that I would have a very strong nostalgia for the series and that I might be coming into this with, with rose-tinted glasses. That was not the case. Mm. So, question. Um, you mm-hmm. skipped Skyward Sword. Will you be getting it on the Switch? I will be. I own Skyward Sword, okay. but I have never played it. And um, Gotcha. I think the biggest reason for that is because it required Wii Motion Plus, and I didn't have yes. Wii Motion Plus. And um, when I got my Wii U, those Wiimotes have Wii Motion Plus built into it. So, I kind of intended to get to it that way. But somewhere along the line, I sort of fell out of love with Zelda, so I just couldn't really be bothered. Right. I will more than likely pick up Skyward Sword for the Switch because it doesn't have motion controls or it gives you the option to not use motion controls. And and that's exactly why I haven't played that game on the Wii. I own it. Yeah, I just... I just- won't play it with motion controls I, I just won't but also fun fact if you ever did want to revisit uh link to the past and actually it would be your first time on the nes and snes virtual console on the switch link to the past is actually on there which i just learned about last month yeah i think it's actually on the super nintendo mini as well which i have a copy of interesting okay um i played maybe like one game from the super <laughs> the snes mini and that was donkey kong country that i played to play with somebody And Mm. I haven't touched it since. It was just one of those things where it was like there were in so few supply that I had to get one because if I didn't get one then, I was never going to get one. So, it was like a collector's thing. Okay. Yeah. But kind of a waste of money, actually. I was about to say, a hot take for me. I know people love those mini consoles, but I'd rather just have the original. Yeah. Sorry. I would rather just have... Uh, something on virtual console then and played on a modern system because right. the Super Nintendo Mini is this cheap plastic looking thing and the controllers have uh, a meter length worth of cord between that <laughs> and the system and it's like I have what three or four meters space between my TV and my couch like <laughs> right. I not don't want to sit on the floor with my legs crossed to play a game I'm not five years old anymore <laughs> I have bad knees uh, that visual <laughs> that visual yeah. totally So, yeah, that's our experiences with Zelda as a franchise. Uh, This game in particular, canonically, I believe it is the very first Zelda, unless that's been retconned, but it is the first in the history of Zelda because a while ago I bought that book, Zelda History, Historia, or something like that. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Yeah, I've seen that a few times. It's, It's cool. I don't have it, but I've seen it. Yeah, so I bought that for a friend for their birthday, and before I gave it to them, I read it. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. And I was like, all right, I'm done with this. I'll give this to you for your birthday. And um, anyway, so canonically, it is the first in the series. So I kind of came into this thinking, oh, sweet. We'll get some answers. We'll figure out what's going on, or it's going to have some kind of cool setup. Came to find out that there's not much of a story there at all. It's just uh, Link wakes up one day and is told to take a sword to the castle because the winner of some sort of uh, county fair sword fighting competition um, is going to win that sword. So you go off to the the castle and you meet up with Princess Zelda, who is your childhood friend, which was a nice touch. I kind of liked that. It wasn't like a you're meeting for the first time or she's a love interest or anything like that. She's just like childhood friend. Kind of like a sister. Yeah. Yeah. So you're kind of hanging out with her, checking out the fair for a little bit. And then um, 
You go to take the sword to the castle, and then some bad guy comes out of nowhere named Vati, who steals the sword, turns a lot of people to stone, and is a bad guy. <laughs> so, I actually thought Vati was a girl because I was dumb <laughs> for oh, the wow. longest time. <laughs> Vati just sounds like a feminine name. Uh, the character design is all purple, and Vati looks like it has long hair. So, I was like, oh, yeah, it's a girl. It's for sure. <laughs> I could see how you would think that, but for some reason, I didn't think that. I just like, oh, okay, it's a lady. Oh, no, I mean, it's a man. <laughs> it's a man. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Um. Yeah, so it's a pretty, I mean, let's be honest, Zelda games don't really have, like, the most in-depth plot ever. Right. Even the ones that have depth to them are, are pretty shallow, I think. That's probably <laughs> a hot take, but um, I don't go to Zelda games for the story, because there isn't really one there. Speaking of story, I actually learned about the Minish Cap series, because I read the manga ah. a couple months before playing the game. Um, I was on, I actually I have all the Zelda mangas, um, the uh, Legendary Edition, saying it goes over like Phantom's Hourglass, you got Majora's Mask, Ocarina of Time, blah, blah, blah. And uh, they have one uh, for the Minish Cap. So I was like, okay, this is cool. And, and honestly, it really did help me get a background story and understanding of the Minish Cap, which was helpful because, again, it, it doesn't really fall. It, it's not the same uh, antagonist. It's not the same kind of, you know, it, it it's kind of different. So I was able to actually get a little bit more information reading the manga and then jumping into the game. Yeah, well, that is a good point that it isn't the same antagonist, which I actually really appreciated about it is because true uh, after having played so many Zelda games growing up and having fought Ganon and Ganondorf so many times, <laughs> I'm so bored of him at this point that it was right. refreshing to have a whole new character. And I really appreciated that, but um, it just didn't really go anywhere. <laughs> So, yeah, and that's one of the biggest points uh, for Nintendo haters out there. Um, they look at these, you know, Nintendo games. They're like, well, you're, you're just fighting the same antagonist every single game. And it's just look there, you know, it's just created differently and blah, blah, blah. And this is why Nintendo's bad. And and but there is some truth to that. It's like, OK, let's let's switch it up a bit. Let's let's get a little bit more creative. Yeah, it is true. I mean, I listen, if it was 10 years ago, I would probably have defended Zelda as a a total frothing at the mouth, raging Nintendo fanboy who doesn't want to listen <laughs> to any criticism whatsoever because I grew up on it. But right. as my knowledge of other games have, has expanded and I've delved into other franchises and, you know, look, I shouldn't say 10 years because I was 23 then. Let's say like 20 years ago. And then I started playing like games like Final Fantasy and stuff, which which have stories. And I got really into JRPGs. Then I look back on these games and I go, okay, they've got a point. They they're expressing their point in a really demeaning and rude way, in a way to uh, diminish the value of Nintendo, which I don't appreciate. But they do have right. a point. There's not really right. a plot here. <laughs> yeah, but hey, you know, I, I don't... And a lot of people don't really play Nintendo games for the plot. I mean, I just talked about in our recent episode. One of the reasons why that really attract me to Nintendo is their art style, their design, their characters, their their worlds and the colors just pop and it, it's it's unique because you know xbox and, and sony they don't they don't really have that to offer yeah no that's totally true i don't know i think my expectations of the series or, or maybe just games in general have been raised because i've i've been a little bit spoiled now that um we've played more modern games that have a lot more to offer and i do love like the simplicity of nintendo games in general 
But right. having played so many different Zelda games, mm-hmm. and this is an issue that I had with Twilight Princess as well, which was they're all so similar that it's getting boring until Breath of the Wild came out and completely changed everything up. So, I yeah. loved that about it. But going back to these really familiar, archaic kind of gameplay styles is it's kind of a, a system shock in a way. To, to relearn how to play these older games. So, I got a question for you. Wind Waker didn't shake that up a bit? Wind Waker did. Okay. Um, that's why I left that out. But okay. <laughs> Wind Waker was refreshing. Yes. But unfortunately, as soon as Wind Waker was done and the Wii came out, they went straight back to the Ocarina of Time formula because people right. were complaining at the time. I don't know if you remember the zeitgeist of this era, but back in these days, because I was a teenager when this happened and I've a heightened awareness of this. The GameCube came out and Nintendo showed footage of, it was kind of like a a, uh, a tech demo of Zelda and it was Link in a sort of somewhat realistic polygon style fighting a somewhat realistic Ganondorf. And it kind of was like that cool, te- like it hit that cool teenage edginess sort of thing. Right. So people were really excited about this tech demo and they thought that that's what the next Zelda game was going to be. But then a year later at the next Space World, they released the trailer for Wind Waker and everybody on the internet was unanimously pissed off because they didn't want to play this kitty childlike Toon Link. Mm -hmm. And it was a massive thing back then. So I remember that specifically. And there was a, it was a, a huge backlash against Wind Waker because of it. But when the game finally came out and people realized it was quality, uh, a lot of people got on board and really enjoyed it. But there were still the people that were kind of haters because they wanted the Space World trailer from the previous year, which was Realistic Link. And um, hmm. because of that, they went back to a, a different style to try and appease the people that weren't happy with the style of Toon Link. So for Twilight Princess, they went darker and edgier and then kind of recycled a lot of elements from Ocarina of Time, which was their most uh, successful of the franchise at that point. Very interesting. I am very glad you told that story because that was the the missing link to really <laughs> of why I hear you know people were you know were were upset at first. And I mean you know the general statement is understandable of oh it's too kiddish. It was too kiddish. I wanted something more real. Okay, I, I get that. But that's that's very interesting. I didn't know the backstory of that though. That's cool. Yeah. And and you also got to keep in mind that when this was happening, it was the the very first Xbox was out, the PlayStation 2 was out, and gaming as a whole was growing up. So you had your Halos, you had right. like this was this was like the dawn of the console first person shooter. So all of these people who had grown up playing Mario and Zelda games, or you know like platformers in general on on PlayStation One, like Spyro and Crash and and all that sort of stuff. So all these typically kitty styled games they've gone from that to growing into teenagers and playing halo and first person shooters and the the cool factor like this was the dawn of the cool factor right yeah it wasn't grand theft auto oh well grand theft auto was also there (laughs) i keep forgetting about that but grand theft auto 3 really shook up the game yes so to speak but uh Wind Wake was such a stark contrast to all of those things that it really sort of rubbed people the wrong way because it was going in the complete opposite direction than every other gaming franchise. Yeah, so that's why there was such a big backlash. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm hoping that people just understand that when Nintendo goes against the grain and just makes you know does what they're good at, people will realize, oh yeah, it, that's that's just Nintendo's way, and people will maybe be more okay with it and, and really appreciate what they do now. Maybe I don't know. I think yeah, I think they've grown up to like nowadays. I think they see it for what it is, which is Nintendo is always going to do their own thing, right? And they're going to do what they want with their franchises, and they're not going to follow the trends of like. You know, if a Matrix film comes out, they're not going to suddenly be like, oh, everyone's <laughs> going to wear like leather jackets and sunglasses. Yeah. Which is what those early 2000s were like. Yep. And yeah, like everybody is a lot older now and, and, and there is so much choice. I think that it doesn't really matter what Nintendo chooses to do because they're winning by keeping their style and mm-hmm. demographic separate from everyone else because they're offering something that nobody else does. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Completely agree. Cool. Well, speaking of Wind Waker, um, Minish Cap is very much in the style of that. Um, how did you find, mm. you know, this style of, of sprite work and, and this style of Link, I guess, for the Game Boy Advance version? Yeah. So, actually, uh, like kind of like I just said, and you mentioned, um, I, I'm new to games. I'm new to the whole uh, really single player experience, you know, put Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh aside. You know, th- you know, this it's a new world for me. So, the only experience I had with the Game Boy Advance specifically, well, was Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! Right. And yeah, you know, you got Emerald and Ruby and Sapphire and Fire Red, and they were they were good, but boy, I, I was so limited in my mind. So when I went back and played Minish Cap, I was like, whoa, there's quality games on here that look good. Interesting. Yeah, it's funny that you bring that up, though, because when the Pokemon Red and Blue came out for the original Game Boy... No other game mattered to me. <laughs> like, I don't even okay. think I owned any other games for the original Game Boy except for Pokemon. So I can see how that, like, how you had that mentality, which was Game Boy Advance is for Pokemon, no other games. Yep. And um, granted, the original didn't really have that much more to offer other than like Tetris. But yeah, it's just interesting that I'm, I'm assuming that, like, at a similar age ish, that um, you felt the same way I did. Right. No, yeah, exactly. And I mean, looking back, though, again, through this this journey of really rediscovering of what existed on these consoles that I did own, I just didn't branch out then. And there, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff on Game Boy Advance and between 2019 and 2021. Now, I've only played two other Game Boy Advance games, um, and I could go on a whole episode on talking about each of these for different reasons, but Banjo-Kazooie Grunty's Revenge, oh, yes. uh, which which is ironically the only Banjo game I've ever played, um, well, only ever beat, and you usually start out on the on the N64, the original, but I decided to throw this in, and I, and I played it, and that was a mediocre Game Boy Advance game. That, that was like a, you know, one of those I don't want to say shovelware, but it was it, it doesn't get talked about, but it's it's okay. Yeah, it's shovelware. Yeah, okay. There you go. I didn't want to say it. You did, and I'll <laughs> agree with you now. Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga. That game was the very first game for the Game Boy Advance that I played uh, in 2020. That was like, whoa, wait, this game is on a handheld? There's so much jam-packed in here in terms of content, but it also looks good. Like it, Every time I went to hop on and play it, I'm like, I was just reminded they made this on the Game Boy Advance back then. Like, yeah. it looks good. And honestly, the Minish Cap really reminded me of that uh, Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga playthrough of just how good it looked. You know, the pixel art and it, it was crisp. It was refreshing. 
it was Nintendo and it looked good. Yeah, I think the the sprite work and the pixel art is is fantastic. And I love that they chose Toon Link from Wind Waker yes. to, to go with that art style because it suits the style of graphics way more than if they had tried yeah. to emulate any of Link's other looks wouldn't have translated to this sort of 16-bit style. Right, you know, I completely agree. And there's, a, you know, when the credits roll, if you've if you've seen that, and for those who are listening, like the, I think a lot of the uh, um, original artwork kind of pops up uh, when the credits roll, and there it just re-enhances and reaffirms again just the look of the Toon Link and how that was a great choice. And there's some really cool official artwork for this uh, for this game. Oh yeah, apparently Capcom when they developed this game started out by making a ton of uh, concept art, which is something that uh, Nintendo apparently doesn't do when they make games. Interesting. Yeah, so they they just create the assets as they go. But for some reason, Capcom went the other way and they created a whole bunch of of concept art for character models and and how like Link was going to look and how the Bakori look and all this sort of stuff. And then they built the game in that style, or uh, then they built the game assets after that. So that was an interesting tidbit I picked up from one of the YouTube videos I watched recently. Good to know. I did not know that. And, but that makes a lot more sense, you know, uh, looking back on the game now too. But that's cool. I, I didn't know that. Okay, so we need to discuss what actually sets Minish Cap apart from all the other Zelda games. Sure. So, Link in this game, he's accompanied by a speaking hat, who is his companion for this game, much in the same way that Navi was in Ocarina of Time. So, his talking hat is called Ezlo, and it gives him the ability to shrink in size to become the same size as a Pikori or a Minish, this race of people who are... Kind of like, um, you know, Thumbelina, or Tom Thumb, or like those old right. uh, literary works about those really small people that live in your walls and stuff. Right. And only kids can see them. So, Link is the, the one that has to save the day because he needs to enlist the help of the Bakori to repair the broken magic sword and then get the elements and blah, 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 blah. So, I know that you've played at least Ocarina of Time. Mm-hmm. What is your opinion of Ezlo as a as a helpful companion in comparison to Navi or any of the other ones that you've played? Well, I mean, right off the bat, I'm just glad they, you know, went a different route and, you know, created a, a different character that had a, a very much foundational and important role of understanding the story yeah. um, as well. But and, and the character design was pretty cool. I, I liked it, and it's a and you know they made it into a hat. Which shout out to Mario Odyssey. I'm giving some Mario Odyssey vibes now. Thinking about it, <laughs> um, they started the trend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. But uh, no, it was cool. Um, I I could actually tell early on that he kind of had an old soul by his reactions and kind of some of the things he would say. So I was like, he's talking like an old person. Uh, but yeah, uh, he, he's cool. I don't have none none against him. Okay, so you don't have any complaints. You didn't find him annoying at all. Here and there, but it, it, nothing that put me over the top. Yeah. I do think they did a really good job in, in making him as unannoying. That's not a word, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah. Not as annoying as Navi, because that was the the biggest criticism for her right. was her constant, hey, listen. Yep. Ezlo doesn't do that. Although sometimes when you walk into a screen which has some sort of story relevance or um, some sort of explanation is needed, he will just 
takeover and text will pop up and he will tell you what you need to know. But other than that, you can consult him when you need to consult him, but he Mm -hmm. won't really force himself onto you unnecessarily. That sounds really wrong, but you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay, come on, start rewarding, start rewarding. He won't (laughs) jump in and chat to you unless you want him to. There you go. He, yeah, you initiate it with him (laughs) rather than him. Yeah, you know what I mean? (laughs) I do. I do. Anyway, so, yeah, I didn't find Ezlo particularly annoying either. But, uh, look, I don't want to get into into the the negatives straight away. So, how about any positives? Can you Can you think of any positives? Yeah, I have 10 positive, actually. All right, let's go. Rattle them off. Some more than others. But, you know, right off the bat, we talked about the artwork. But one one thing I wanted to be more specific about is uh, these two kind of, you know, you kind of like when something like amazes you or astonishes you, you kind of give like a head turn like, oh. Okay, and those two things when it comes to the artwork was the rain in Mount Crinnell. Oh, yes. And the sun rays in Minish Village, which you actually see first. And I saw those sun rays popping through. I was like, whoa. Okay, respect. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Should bring that up. When you're a a mini Link, the world around you and the the art that they've done for Mm. the small world, basically, is beautiful. Like, it looks amazing. Like, you go into the... Uh, you go into roofs and stuff and you're walking on beams and you can see below you the the house below and um, you can see everything that's in there from a different perspective and oh that's probably the best example is just perspective so instead of like yeah you know small grass as a as a big version of link you can now like walk into the grass in certain sections and you're this tiny itty bitty little link and you're suddenly fighting like dust mites or like bugs that you wouldn't be able to perceive with your naked eye are now suddenly you know link-sized enemies as you're a small person yeah i did appreciate those passageways or those pathways when you do turn in it's like you do have to go through like the the path of dirt yeah. and you see the grass on the sides or even like the um like if you're on the water you can't you, you know you see the little you got to go through the droplets of water the the puddles it's cool yeah and like how the like you said earlier, the rain. So if you're if it's raining as big link, it's not going to affect you. But if it's raining and you're a tiny yep. link, you need to avoid these raindrops, like they're boulders falling down from the sky. Yeah, it's awesome. They, yeah. yeah, they did a good job with that. But uh, yeah. yeah, the the next thing uh, that I really appreciated, and if you you know listen to the podcast over at Player Way, you know I like my short and easy games. Now. I wouldn't easy wouldn't be the word for me for Minish Cap at the <laughs> moment, but short is and and I really like that this game was only about fifteen hours and some you know it depends on the person some some people would like ah, I want more content and if if that's what you want sure I mean you're not wrong in that and some people said that Minish Cap was too short but in my opinion I didn't want it any longer it was it, for what it was I enjoyed that it was only about 15 hours give or take yeah it's definitely a much smaller experience than most other Zelda games and even the map itself is a lot smaller granted that you experience it from two different sizes so that um, opens right. up a lot more content but um, I actually wished it was even shorter <laughs> I'm not going to disagree there. (laughs) I'm not going to disagree. Yeah, because there are a lot of collectibles in this game, Mm. a lot of them. And I don't want to get into negatives. So let me just say (laughs) this really briefly. When you get to the final boss, if you haven't collected all those heart pieces and all those sword techniques, you are going to have a not fun time trying to survive that we will we will have a lengthy discussion on that. Yeah, we'll have a lengthy. We'll get there. (laughs) We'll get there. 
All right, give me. I need some more positivity. Give me another. Give All right, me another positive. Next one. Uh, speaking of map, um, I actually the previous game that I beat before I played Minish Cap was Pokemon Diamond and Pearl. Um, a game that I started as a kid, and never finished, so I wanted to replay. Um, which is ironic that I'm telling myself I want to pre- replay all the classics that I never played. Well, I, I did want to make an ode to Pokemon because it's my favorite series, but if you if you've ever played a Pokemon game, you, there is a map. But it's not that detailed. It's usually not good. And so when I jumped over to a Game Boy Advance game and opened up this map, I was like, whoa, whoa, okay, wow. We've got some detail. I can kind of see the regions. This is better. So yeah. it was it was a good thing. Yeah, that's interesting because um, if most of your experience is with Pokemon, which is a very basic experience and yep. it doesn't go out of its way through the different generations to right. innovate, then you might have a slightly skewed opinion of games that are not necessarily better, but do things in a more streamlined way or, or yeah. user-friendly way. For sure. Yeah. So, the map was definitely appreciated, especially because like- they're sort of segmented, so even if you click on a certain segment, you can enlarge it and you get a better view of what's actually in that yeah. segment. And I did love that, um, oh, you know what I haven't brought up? Kinstones. <laughs> mm, okay. Quick side note. Kinstones are a me- mechanic in Minish Cap that are basically like, um, remember in like high school when you have a best friend and then you both have like heart-shaped lockets and then one person was once one side and the other person was the other and then you put them together and they make a full shape. Kinstones are kind of like that. So, they have these shapes cut out of them and they're in halves. And if you talk to an NPC, you can match up kinstones with them. And if you complete one, it will do something good. Like um, a new NPC will come to town or it will create a new opening somewhere in the level for you to go and get a heart piece container or something along those lines. And when that happens, it will actually mark it on your map where it has happened. So, when you open up your map, there is a point of interest to say, hey, there is a new chest here because you completed a kinstone. So, I really appreciate that they went to those lengths to make sure that, you know, once you've completed the kinstone, that you're actually able to find the reward without too much hassle. Yeah, that, that's that's a pretty big point there, and that's a, that's yeah. a good point. Which great visual visualization there, by the way, with the uh, the locket pieces. That's that's exactly what they remind me of too. Oh, thank you. I was just having a flashback to all those people <laughs> that didn't give me heart shaped lockets. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <sighs> Moving on, your turn. <laughs> all right. So, well, so speaking of that, um, actually, uh, on that very same note, I'm glad you brought it up. Um, early on. Uh, the Pokori, and I, my only downfall is this did not happen through the entire game. But the Pokori, at one point, when you enter the Minish Village and you get your very first task, there's like a check mark on the map, kind of saying like this is the target where you need to go next. Oh uh, like, yeah. I was like, whoa, wait, for every single task and, and quest, like they're gonna put it on the map as a. Ch- this is phenomenal. I love games who do that. Well, unfortunately, they didn't follow through consistently because <laughs> that doesn't exist. Uh, more times than not, it does It does not happen. Yeah. But I, I, I do appreciate that they did it for some. And I do appreciate that they put the elements on the map. But I wish they would have been consistent because I'm, I'm definitely the type of person of you put you put the target on the map and I'm going straight to it. I'm full on. This is my objective. Yeah, I didn't mind the exploration in this game, actually, because the map was so small. Mm. So, like, like, Eslo will point you for the most part into the right direction. Yeah. And I liked exploring certain areas, but I'm going <laughs> to go into a negative again. I hated <laughs> that at certain parts there are some really obtuse 
roadblocks where it's like, hey, go to the mountain, but hey, we're not going to tell you that you actually need to go back to town and get this other item to complete this mountain level kind of thing. Yeah, I, yep, that'll be on my dislikes, but we'll talk about that. Okay. Maybe we should just go for it now. So, let's, since I brought that one up, uh, okay. let's discuss that that dislike and then we will we'll shit sandwich it with a positive afterwards. Sounds good. So, uh, confessions. Hello. Um, hot take alert. Hello. <laughs> just hear me out. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah, I'll just go ahead and put it out there. Because Brian Miller is new to games and single player experiences and, and, and action adventure and just platforming and blah, 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 blah. My skill level is not as advanced as this hardcore player that's probably listening. And we're all at different skill levels. Even puzzles, figuring out puzzles can be a challenge for me. And I'll just go ahead and admit it. Usually when I play Zelda games, I find myself naturally glued to a walkthrough. (laughs) Yeah, it's okay. Hey, if I didn't use a walkthrough, I'd never finish Zelda games. And that's a big boo. (laughs) Um... (laughs) But no, seriously, though, on that point of when you when you talk about, you know, yep. All right. We're moving on to the next element. Oh, wait, we didn't tell you you had to go back to the to the village and talk to this very specific person who's going to quest you with this very specific task that is in the opposite region. But he doesn't say where it is. He gives you a few like there's just so many pieces to the puzzle that I would never be able to figure out on my own. And even, you know, getting over there, there might be a roadblock. Uh, getting to that next, you know, mountain or or area to where you need to complete this quest in order to move on with the story, and it's just too difficult. It's not obvious, and yes, you know, there's people out there who can solve those things. My wife is an example. Like she loves The Legend of Zelda. That's one of the main reasons why. Like I've jumped into the series. Like we have almost every game. We have tons of like Zelda stuff. Like we have the most Zelda items in this apartment. And she, you know, she, she's a little bit more sharp than I am with the Zeldies. Uh, and she can figure <laughs> out those puzzles. She can figure out those dungeons. So the side quests, yeah, she might have to re- reference YouTube a couple of times. But for the most part, she can hold her own. I cannot. Like, I desperately need help navigating. Because, again, like you said, sometimes these side quests and, and puzzles to figure out, to move on with the story, aren't as obvious. Right. So what you're saying is that you played the game while watching a walkthrough the entire way. Actually, what I'm saying is I just watched a walkthrough and I and I said I beat it myself. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my god, I was about to lose it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, I yes. I mean, being honest with you, there, I mean, there yeah. were some points where I'm like, okay, let's we're in a dungeon. Like this is a very like you know. Um, uh, small area because it's you're not going from one side of the map to the other. This is a, like uh, a, a you know a, a part of the game that it's it's this is it. This is a dungeon, so figure it out. So it was easier to kind of explore and kind of figure it out on my own. And I did that a couple of times. And, then, and when I did advance and find something or do something, I was like, oh, that did feel a little bit good. But yeah. for the most part, yes, I, I I had a reference to walk through. I had to. Okay, I'm not going to shame you. Life has already done that. No, I'm just kidding. Um. <laughs> so, well, well, my question is, I because I don't talk to a whole lot of people because the only person I've talked to is Ethan over at Play Your Way. Yeah. And, and he gets it, but he's also on the side of, uh, really, you had to use a walkthrough for the entire game. I'm curious, do you use a walkthrough for Zelda games? Two, if so, how often do you use it and usually what for? Okay. Well, here was this was the part where I was going to say that, yes, I actually used a walkthrough as well. Okay. But the difference is that I... I didn't watch it from beginning to end. I basically played it 
on my own until I got stuck and then I would reference a walkthrough. And in this one, 100%, um, you have to use a walkthrough because it's- Yes. I mean, I'm sure there are people out there who are really intelligent and really thorough and love talking to NPCs and- will find the exact right person to talk to, or if they hit a roadblock, they'll be like, okay, I'm just going to chat to everyone again, and then I'll figure it out. That's not me. I have limited time. Yes, preach. Yeah. So, when I got stuck, um, I immediately pulled up a video walkthrough. I usually tend to go for, like, written walkthroughs first, but in this one, it was like, okay, if I can't find the passage that I need in a written walkthrough, I'm just going to watch a video, and then I'll figure it out. And the one that I did find- Included a lot of side stuff and um, it was basically like, okay, well, now that you've done that, we need to go and do side quests for a couple of hours. And I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. absolutely not. So, I didn't do a lot of the side content. I just used a a walkthrough at certain points to point me in the right direction. And my biggest frustration in some of these was that they would have what would normally be considered in most games as a secret. They had that blocking the main progression of the game. Right. So- For example, I think it's Mount Cornell or something like that. Can't remember the specific level, but at one point there is a part where you need to blow up part of a wall and there is no indication on the wall whatsoever that there's a hidden (laughs) passage there. But that hidden passage, if you don't find it, you can't progress. So, I just hate that they've like put a hidden thing um, as a roadblock to stop you from progressing the main plot. Like granted, if there was like a heart piece behind it, whatever, fine. That's a secret, but not in the main story. No way, no how. So, that's one of the things I had to use a walkthrough for. So, and that happens actually a couple of times. Oh, yeah. But this is my issue. Why are you going to make some walls obvious to where it's like, yeah, I got to blow that up and yeah. some not? Like, why are we? Why? <laughs> yeah. Why? Oh, God. It's so annoying. Although I realized that I just didn't answer your question. So, um. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you let me know that like, yeah, we, you know, you're going to figure out on your own until you can't. We'll re- reference a walkthrough because we only have so many hours in a day and I can't spend a whole day just trying to figure out on my own just to say, yeah, I figured it out on my own. It's like, no, nah, I want to move on with this with the game so I can play the next. Like, I don't I don't have the time like I used to as a kid. OK, well, I get that. So I have a counter question for you then. All right. And this might be somewhat controversial. And um, oh, just be aware that I'm, I'm not insulting your credibility whatsoever. I'm just trying sure. to maybe make you see it from another perspective. But do you think that if you were to use a walkthrough for a game from beginning to end, that maybe you're better off just watching the walkthrough and not playing it? So, yeah, I've contemplated all of these things multiple times. And so thank you for allowing me to, you know, giving me a space so I can talk about it. <laughs> yeah, um, get it off your chest. So uh, a few things, and I actually just talked about it recently on our, on our uh, recent episode we just recorded. But I think the main reason that when it comes to games, like I know Zelda games, like they're hard. There's going to be stuff that's just, if I tried to figure out on my own, I'd end up spending 60 to 120 hours rather than 20. So I know there's going to be hiccups in a lot of them for me specifically. Yeah. Because, and because I'm trying to get through a backlog, which I only have about, uh, I think 11 games at this point left on my backlog. And I'm hoping to, to finish that by the end of the year. I want to move on to the next one. So for me, I am still playing it. And yes, I am watching a walkthrough. Does it diminish the experience? Absolutely. And I said on one of our episodes, like being glued to a walkthrough absolutely does diminish my experience playing. Like, like it, it feels good to figure things out on your own. Like I don't, and just you playing it and not watching someone else play it, then you mimic what they do. There is a big difference. There is, a, yeah. you know, you get more joy from it. But if I can't do it on my own, 
either way, I'm screwed. <laughs> so it's like, right. let's u- utilize the resources that we have. And I will say this, once the backlog is, is dead and gone, and I'm only playing one game at a time, and I buy a game, finish it, then I go to the store and buy another one, that is when I will, the pressure will be taken off. And I, I, I'll have more time and focus to, all right, let's explore. Let's not pick up that YouTube or that, that phone for a walkthrough until we've exhausted a lot of our, of our trying. Um, and so I think when that time comes, I'll have a lot more freedom and want to explore and do those things. But as of right now, I, I'm perfectly okay with, with using a walkthrough. I played it myself. I beat it myself. And I'm good. It's all about, okay. it's all about you. Yeah, look, I'm just busting your chops. I can, I get it. Well, no, I, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, let's be honest, there's going to be listeners who have those same exact thoughts and yeah. want to ask those questions and may not ever get an answer to it. So I'm able to actually, you know, vocalize kind of my process of it. And, and another counterpoint, some might ask, well, why are you even playing the game? You know, if you're just trying to get through these games through your backlog, just to get through your backlog and not even enjoying the games and taking the time with them, what's the point? And the thing is, is like, I'm still playing them. I'm still, you know, uh, pulling the enjoyment that I can get from these games. I'm just making sure I'm on a pace and a progression that allows me to move forward without any right. hiccups um, right off the bat, you know. So I, and that's just kind of how I'm taking it again. That'll change when I have no backlog and can play whatever and whenever. Uh, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Look, I have a counter argument for that as well. I mean, we're not a counter argument, but I have a counterpoint for that as well. Sure. So by the time this is released, Kieran and I would have released our Bloodborne episode and Bloodborne and Dark Souls, are obviously notoriously difficult games. And I have finished all of them except for Sekiro and Confession. This will mm-hmm. probably come up in the other episode, but I have used a walkthrough before for, I think it was Dark Souls 3. And the reason why I think it's fine is because this particular walkthrough was uh, hidden items walkthrough. So, there are items scattered around the stage that are hidden and this will show you the, the right path to make sure that you pick everything up and you don't miss anything important. So, my justification for that is that, yes, I'm using a walkthrough, but... I have to have the skill, and particularly in these games, I'm the one playing and I have to beat the enemies myself. And there is sufficient challenge in that alone to be a counterpoint for whatever walkthrough I'm I'm watching or using. So, a Mm -hmm. walkthrough can tell me what to do, but in this game in particular, as in like (laughs) Dark Souls 3, you have to have enough skill to pull it off yourself. And Absolutely. The same point can be made for- a Zelda Minish Cap, like granted, then they're, they're not looked at as being particularly difficult games, but the difficulty spike in Minish Cap will creep up on you like really mm-hmm. crazy. So even if if you're using something that shows you exactly where to go, exactly what to do, you as a player still need to accomplish that yourself. And there's plenty of times when you might be watching a walkthrough, which is showing you what to do, but your skill level might not be quite up to it. So the challenge is to still accomplish those feats yourself. So I get why. Um, you would still want to play the game and it's you don't want to just watch somebody else play it like it's still an interactive experience exactly and if i were being completely honest with you i I, i'm willing to make the statement and i'm I'm willing to be proven wrong but i guarantee the majority of people who play single player games reference walkthroughs they might not use them the entire time i get you i bet you the more times than not people use walkthroughs for for games so 
for to to have this stigma of oh you use walkthrough you're not a hardcore player like me come on you, you there's no way all the games you've ever encountered and played you've never had to use a walkthrough once like yeah. it's okay i think that hardcore gamer mentality has largely disappeared in the last few years at least in the circles of people that i associate with right but i think it's typically like a, a very teenage mentality to try and put other people down for referencing a walkthrough or whatever so it's just it's just stupid. Let people play games and enjoy them. Yeah, and exactly. if you want to use a walkthrough, that's fine. I used to walk through on several occasions for Minish Cap because I found the puzzles and roadblocks to be really obtuse and frustrating. So, I'm putting that down as a negative. <laughs> exactly. So, now that we've said that, do you have any more positives left over? I do. I actually have about six more. So, for all the negative that we will get into, I, I there is a lot of positives about it. And the next one I have is, I really did appreciate that they made Hyrule Town feel legitimately like a town like yeah straight up like if it, it, it was it was pretty vast by the way from the the zelda experiences i've had um like this felt like a town you've got shops everywhere you've got houses you've got a lot of people but one thing i appreciated the most when you when you start the game uh you, you if you go around asking all the npcs uh and the subject on everyone's you know discussion is the bakori you know is the bakori a fantasy is it a fairy tale or is it legitimately history is it is it a fact and the town was split if you go to one npc they'd be like oh that you know that fairy tale and then the very next person you'd be like yes my grandfather told me and this is this is history and i believe it um i believe we'll see them again and it legitimately made it just a very multi-layered experience rather than uh yeah just like one single-mindedness throughout it, it i really liked what they did with hyrule town it was probably one of my favorite regions. Yeah. When I think about it, I compare it to Ocarina of Time because I replayed that one on 3DS not that long ago. And I remember thinking to myself, these towns look really empty. Mm -hmm. And even for the, like, the 3DS remake, granted, they don't add any new NPCs or anything. But right. if you're in the Hyrule town in, in Ocarina of Time, there's only like maybe a dozen NPCs and that's it. Whereas like in Minish Cap... Granted, there is only one town, but they've obviously acknowledged the fact that there's only one town and put all of the NPCs in one place, and there are so many of them. Right. And they all have something- well, not all of them, but they mostly have something interesting to say, whereas in Ocarina of Time, uh, you kind of just chat to people and they say not really important things or things that don't really have much weight to them, so- I think it's an, a definite improvement over that. I'm not bashing Ocarina of Time. It's it's just a product of its time. So right. things have progressed since then. And Minish Cap, when you compare it to the previous, is you know a clear example of progression, which is a positive. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I completely agree. Cool. Next one. Let's get this going. Speedy, speedy. <laughs> Let's go. The next one for me would be the ability to save the game anytime and any anywhere. Yes. I am a big save state person. Like I, I think I just have too much PTSD from as a kid of just like hitting the console on accident and I didn't save for like the past an hour and now I have to restart. Like I, I save any chance I get. Like when I stream on Twitch, like you will see like I am saving constantly. And so I do appreciate those games where I could just hit the menu, save, boom 
done. That's interesting. I think that's, isn't that in every Zelda game though? I'm not entirely sure, but I, I'm just, I'm coming from the point of just like kind of just games in general. Like, so for example, True. like Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga, which is on the very same console, you, they're safe states. Like you can't just hit the menu and save. You literally have to go to a location and save. And I'm not the biggest fan of that. Oh, you mean like save points? Save points. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, I was really, really happy. Now, the only thing about that is I'm so used to Pokemon, so this this is kind of sad. But like in Pokemon, you save, cut the game off, you open it back up, and you start exactly where you saved from last, no matter what. Yeah. Well, that doesn't necessarily happen. Like you, you can't just save right before the final boss, turn the game off, turn it on. Well, you're going to start actually from the beginning of the dungeon. So it is what it is. Yeah, true. And, um, and in Minish Cap, at least, they give you sort of warp points so you can get closer to... Like, there's typically one in front of the boss door. So, if you save it a dungeon, right. turn the game off, and you've activated that warp point, you can warp back to the final boss door. So, that's all right. But that, yeah, I do wish, like you said, that it was save where you are and reload exactly where you are. Mm-hmm. Because I would have made use of that right in the final dungeon boss area. <laughs> oh, good point. Oh, oh yeah. That, that's a very good point. That is a very, very, very good point. Which is why it'll be on a negative that we will discuss. <laughs> Oh, yes. Next positive. All right. Next positive was I did like a certain boss. I don't know why, but it just stuck out to me. And I don't know how to pronounce his name. It's M-A-Z-A-A-L. Mazal, Mazel, you know, one of those. Was that the the one made of stone looking thing? Yeah. And then you're able to like become small and go inside of its like arm and like diffuse and like cause havoc and like basically destroy his both of his arms to where you can destroy him. Yeah, I think that one was my favorite as well. Yeah, it was fun. It, it was early on. And of course, they kind of reused that idea with the final boss, which I did not like. But it was cool. I did like that. It was a fun mechanic. Um, yeah, just going small and climbing into the arms. It, it was cool. Yeah, I appreciated that it used, well, kind of the whole point of the game become going small. Yep. No, I agree with that. I, I don't really have much else to add. I also enjoyed that boss. Um, the bosses in general, I think, were okay. Mm-hmm. Not many of them were particularly memorable for me. I think I really liked the flying manta ray, stingray looking ones. They, they were cool. It was challenging, but it was yes. it was cool. That's a good point. I was going to say that was my only hesitancy. I was like, I, I can't get over the challenge. Like, yeah, they were cool and all, but the challenge. But yeah, I agree. I think I still managed to beat it in one try, I think. Nice. Like we keep alluding to, I didn't have that many issues <laughs> until the final boss. <laughs> uh yes cool all right uh let's let's get through the rest of these positives so i can vent uh yeah well we we i mean it's been building up for me for a couple months so i think we both need to but yeah the next one for me um <laughs> and it was it was a nice little surprise i don't i'm just because breath of the wild was the third zelda game which i say oh that, that might be for some people oh the third you know that's that's a lot but i've only beat five zelda games and knowing how many are in the series, that's I'm actually not even halfway through. I might not even be close to halfway through. There's a lot. So I still feel like I'm still early on in my journey with the Zelda series. So, I, you know, when I think of like uh, Breath of the Wild, of the, the glider, the parachute kind of thing, it was a nice surprise just to see the parachute just pop up and exist in the Minish Cap world, which, again, I know it existed in uh, Skyward Sword and previous hours, but, again, I haven't played those, so I'm kind of, there's kind of a big gap in my my knowledge there. Oh, you mean uh, the the sections where Ezlo turns into a little parachute and you can float off of whirlwinds? Yeah, exactly. That was cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I like that. That was a that was a decent mechanic as well. So I enjoyed that. So speaking of the next one, I I wasn't expecting this, but when you get the ocarina, you can fast travel, and it's oh, actually yeah. later on in the game. But thank you for convenience. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, the map is small, but when you want to go from one side of it to the other, that ocarina and the fast mm-hmm. travel is a godsend. So I love that, and I'm I'm glad that they put that in there. It was a bit weird though that maybe it's just me, but the one button press to use it, <laughs> like with no fanfare, was slightly odd to me because, like, normally in most of these games, when you have a one of the musical instruments or the the wand in uh, Wind Waker, you have to, right, you know, do the motions or, or hit the particular notes or whatever. But I understand in this game, there's only one song. So as soon as you pull the ocarina out and you press the button to use it, off you fly for the fast travel stuff. Yeah, it was cool. Um, uh, any any mechanic that adds convenience to a game, I'm all for. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was cool. But last one for me, though I did have to use a walkthrough, I did appreciate it. The only, I don't even know if it was, actually, no, it was part of you progressing through the main story. So you, it had to be done. But the book Fetch Quest, and I'm usually not oh. fans of Fetch Quest, but it was kind of neat. I have that one as a negative. I hated that. <laughs> so, well, if it was just one book, I would have been better off. But it, it that was, was three. the problem. Yeah, I agree. That was the total, like, absolutely the whole problem was that there was too many of them. Mm-hmm. And the library book section nearly made me rage quit because fetching all the books was so annoying. Oh, and I fa- in fact, I think I did. Now, did you have to use a walkthrough? Yeah, I think I did because I was running around town for a while Mm -hmm. and I managed to do the first one by myself. But when I realized that there was more than one, I was like, nah, screw this. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Got the walkthrough. I was like, that's it. I'm just going to follow this and get it done because otherwise I'm going to have a stroke or something. I'm so mad. Yeah. So, I didn't like that one. But that that was your final positive? That was my final positive. That was 10 of them. Okay, well, that, that's a good segue into negatives because your positive was my negative. <laughs> but yeah, there we go. There we go. All right. I'm going to just start off with one of the most frustrating things in the entire game, and that was the limited button mapping for items. Ooh. You only have two face buttons, which is yeah. the A and the B button. And you're obviously going to use your sword, so you're always going to have your sword on one of those buttons which leaves only one other button for you to use any of your other items, including your shield. Whereas in past Zelda games, your shield has always been equipped and you can always pull it up when you need to with another button. But because the Game Boy Advance has so few buttons, you have to go into your menu every single time and map them to either the A or the B button. And if you need a map on like two other items that aren't your sword, you're basically defenseless. So it was really frustrating and... I, I just hated like constantly going into your menu to replace my shield with my bombs or uh, replace my bombs with my arrow and keep my sword there. And, you know, it was just annoying. <laughs> no, that's a that's a fair point. And it, I agree with that. It, surprisingly, I, it didn't bother me as much because I think I had bigger problems uh, at hand uh, with yeah. just figuring out how to progress and well, with the final boss as well. But that, I mean, that was later. But yeah, I, I it is it's inconvenient. Again, anything inconvenient in a game is not going to be um, fun for me. Uh, it was such a massive issue for me, especially because there were They'll give you certain enemies that can only be beaten by certain items and Mm -hmm. they'll put certain enemies in the same section that need different items to be beaten. So, I would have to go into my menu, swap out for my boomerang or something and then uh, some other enemy will come up and I'll be like, oh, well, now I need to defend against this guy. I need to swap my boomerang out for my 
shield and then I need to you know, swap it out again for a bomb or something. So, mm-hmm. it was just like in one given room, I would have to switch out my items three or four separate times, which was just infuriating. But um, yeah. that was my problem. No, and that's, that's a fair point. So, my mine is a small one. My first one is a small one. And that is okay. no time clock to record how many hours you played. Oh, yeah. That is a nitpick. <laughs> it is a nitpick. But I tell you what, I don't know why they didn't do this because the, there's many games on the very same console that do implement this. So, like, I mean, that existed on the console. They could have added. I mean, it's not necessary. Like, if, you know, a lot of people don't really care. But I do like to I like to see, you know, where I clocked out at. Yeah, I agree. Like, I would like to know how long it took me to finish the game. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait. <laughs> Confession. Yeah. <laughs> Forgot to mention, I haven't finished the game. <laughs> what? Why? Well, that's a good segue into another really yes, it is. huge negative, which is, I think I alluded to it at the beginning of the episode, but there is a huge difficulty spike in the final boss dungeon right before the final boss. And I neglected to do all of the side stuff because I was getting to the point where I was like, nope, stuff this. I just want to finish the game and be done with it. So, I was missing about... Mm, seven or eight hearts and a lot of different sword techniques and leading up to the final boss there is three separate rooms filled with enemies and the final room has three they're called dark nuts but they're basically just knights and they always hold up a, a shield to block your attacks and you have to kill them in a variety of different ways you can put some bombs down to have them walk into it and then they get stunned and you hack at them with your sword that way but because there's three of them you have to avoid most of their attacks and then, or you can either like jump over them and try and attack them from behind. But if you attack them from behind and one of the other ones is facing your way, your sword will bounce off their shield. And anyway, those three enemies depleted my hearts so much before I had actually gone into the final boss that there was no way in hell I was going to survive all of the different phases that Vati has. Then there's like, what, four, five, six of them? I don't know, because I kept dying in the second one. Mm-hmm. I didn't have enough heart pieces. I had three bottles. I didn't have the fourth bottle. And all three of those were filled with fairies. So, every time I died, the fairy would bring me back from the dead, but with only three hearts. So, I had limited hearts. Yeah, there was no way. There was absolutely no way I could have beaten it. And I wasn't about to go back and do a bunch of side quests to get heart pieces and spend another three or four hours in this game. Because I'm just like, no, I'm I'm done. I'm checked out. I rage quit. I I tried it again last night. (sighs) And I got to the three dark nuts. And they got my health down and I needed a, a fairy to revive myself. And I was like, well, I've, now I've just wasted a fairy. There's no mm-hmm. way I'm going to beat the boss with only two fairies in reserve and three hearts. So, this is ridiculous. I give up. And then I gave up. And I haven't finished it. And I'll never finish it. I watched the ending on YouTube. Yeah. And um, I was disappointed with that as well. So, <laughs> so let's talk about it. Because I, I do have a lot of thoughts. And I can relate. Because when I played Mario & Luigi Superstar Saga, that was my, the exact same experience I had. Uh, and, and a lot of those um, issues with the, for you know, to, in terms of the final boss with Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga are the same ones I have with the Minish Cap, and is it it's it's this, yeah. The game is a pretty much smooth ride until the final boss, and then all of a sudden they want to crank the difficulty to one thousand and one, and it's like whoa, 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 what's hey, we 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 didn't do this before. Why all of a sudden are we making this difficult now? And yeah, I mm-hmm. mean, it makes sense for a final boss to be difficult, but there's a difference when you make it frustrating and annoying, and you're actually behind 
before you even start. And we'll get into yeah. that specifically, but confession on my end, and I've said this multiple times over on Play Your Way, but I did not beat Mario Luigi Superstar Saga because not only is there six mini bosses before you get to the final boss, but the final boss, again, like normal, um, for whatever reason, this is the standard, but there's three phases. And it's like, I'm already punished before I even started. And that's exactly what happened with the Minish Cap. You have to go through these different phases in order to even get to the final boss. And it's not like, okay, when you die, you can start to the final boss. Nope, you got to go through those phases again, and you're not going to come out of there with, you know, with <sighs> perfection. You're going to get hit. You're going to lose a lot of hearts. Yeah, you yeah. might actually have to, you know, pull out one of those bottles and use a fairy because, well, you you need it, and you haven't even started the final boss yet. Yep. I came to this conclusion. No game is too difficult to beat, but there are games to where they might not be too difficult to beat, but would require a lot of effort, a lot of time, and a lot of emotional drainage for you to beat that, and it's not worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Just the fact that if I want to beat the final boss, I have to go back and do all the extra side content just to get enough hearts to survive is a joke. Yes. I was so annoyed. And add to that, those three rooms where you have to fight those other enemies before you get mm -hmm. to the final boss... You're under a time limit. Yes. So, you can't take too long because if three bell strikes or four bell strikes or whatever happen, because um, Vati is going to kill the princess after the fourth strike, if that happens, it's game over. Yep. And because there is a time limit, even if you beat all of the enemies within those rooms, you're automatically progressed into the story. You can't go back and get more fairies and like fix your hearts or anything because you're going to run out of time. Mm -hmm. So, you're stuck in this uh, never-ending loop of- dying and then going through it over and over again and just it's like banging your head against the wall and i i play games to relax i don't play games to get irritated and that exactly. irritated the hell out of me and i hated it no for sure and that and that's my biggest problem with with people who say well it's it's, it's a challenge games are supposed to have challenge oh you you're you're a coward if you if you just if you're not going to live up challenge. to this fair challenge and honestly i'll be honest with you i don't really like a lot of challenge cuz challenge usually leads to frustration and impatience and emotional drainage and guess what like you said i i want to play a game that's relaxing and that i i'm not like my my emotions are not being drained out of me to where I'm just I just want to take the game and break it. That's not fun. That's not why you play games. Life's too short to subject yourself to that. So I'm right there with you. So, so when I played the final boss, I will say this too. One of the benefits to watching the walkthroughs because those walkthroughs tend to be like 100% like completionist walkthroughs or, or come yeah. close to it. So as I'm you know I'm following along, of course they're leading me to the heart pieces and this and that. And once I realized like. The the walkthrough that I use, like half of the the walkthrough is um, the long play is kinstones, which we'll get to that because that's my final uh, dislike is just getting all the kinstones and blah blah blah. I'm like, okay, I can skip this, but I did for the most part. I didn't get all the hard pieces, and I was down probably three to four total hearts that you can actually get. I had about ten, eleven. I don't really remember exactly, and I only had one bottle. I think yep. if I had three or more, would it, can you do have three bottles in this game? Four bottles? I think it's four. It looks like there's space for four. Okay. So if I was able to have four bottles, I think we'd be, yeah, we'd be having a different conversation because that would have helped me. And I'm also pretty sure in other Zelda games, when you die and use the fairy that you have in a bottle, it replenishes all your hearts. Am I wrong on that? I think so. I'm pretty sure. Like I thought so too. My memory's a little hazy, but- I'm fairly certain it, it revives all of your hearts and gives you a full, if not all of them, 
maybe like at least the top bar, like the entire yeah. top bar, not just three hearts. So that was something I had a big issue with. Uh, because that would have been a game changer as well. My one measly bottle fairy like would have been much more useful instead of giving me three hearts when I just died to the final boss fight. Like I need more than that. So when I was playing through it, because I had a, a decent amount of hearts and I had thankfully one bottle, I think on the very first try, I was able to actually get to the second phase. And then just from there, it was just a matter of the third phase and just the willingness to... Um, to really put in the work and because I was going on this podcast and I knew we were talking about this game, I didn't want to be like, yeah, no, nope, I'm going to put it back on the shelf. Cause usually like I did with <laughs> superstar saga, I'd be like, no, this is not worth my time. But be, you know, I want, I wanted to be kind of faithful to playing it all and seeing the credits roll. But I, I will not give in to that mentality of, well, I, I, I can, you know, I got all the way in the final boss and I have to put it on the shelf and I'm going to live with guilt for the rest of my life. And I'm just going to see that game. And it's like, nope, <laughs> Life is much more important. There's a lot more things to worry about. And this is the thing. Yeah, you, you watch you watch the ending on YouTube. You got to the final boss. Heck, you probably got to the second or third phase. So you got to almost the ending. Like you got out of the game all that you needed to get out of. And that's a win. You know, that's a win. Yeah. Wait, so back up a second. Did you finish it? Yes. Yeah. I, I subjugated oh, myself to the frustration that it was. Again, what I'm saying is under normal circumstances, if I was just playing this yeah. game without having to do on a podcast, best believe I'm putting that game back on the shelf. <laughs> well, congratulations for at least you finishing it. I There have been very few times in, in the length of this podcast that I have not finished one of the games. In fact, uh -huh. I think I've finished every single game that we've set out to play. But this one... I I just no I wasn't going to subject subject myself to no. more side quests and I'd already been dragging my feet with with this one for a while because I mm -hmm. full disclosure was not enjoying myself that much yeah. and um, so I was like no nope, I'm not going to do any side quests I'm just I've had it I just want to put this game away and never play it again and be done with it completely and by be done with it I would normally mean finish it completely. But by this be done with it, I mean, set the whole thing on fire and chuck it in the bin because I just don't want to play it anymore. Hey, if it makes you feel any better, and it did me, honestly, after I beat the game, I went straight to YouTube. I went straight to Google, straight to Reddit. I was like, I cannot be the only one who thinks this. So, like, the walkthroughs, like, or, or, or actually what I would do, I went and did is on YouTube, I would just type in final boss fight of the Minish Cap so I can just see this segment and see what people's comments are on this final boss. And honestly, there was so many comments of, Honestly, I, I played a lot of Zelda games, and I think this is the game that actually has the hardest boss fight and blah, blah, blah. And it was along the lines of that. So, like, we're not in the minority here. A lot of people think Minish Cap either is the most difficult final boss fight or is up there in the top three to five. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's reassuring, but um, I'm one of those people where it has completely soured my entire experience for it. Rightfully so. I'm like... Mass Effect 3, that ending pissed me off so much that I can't even look at the Mass Effect series anymore without disdain because I'm so Ooh. pissed off at it. Um, that's a whole nother story, but that's just me. I'm like an all or nothing kind of person. Mm -hmm. Like I have extreme reactions to things. And um, yeah, I hated this game because of that final boss. I absolutely hated it. <laughs> so, but, but that's a good point that I completely agree with. If you have a decent time or a good time, 
or mediocre time all the way through except the final boss fight well guess what the final boss fight is the final thing you encounter you interact with and yeah. it, that you you know so if you end on a bad note guess what it is going to ruin your experience and it did me like i would be straight up that along with the amount of side quests and, and item collecting specifically the kinstones that were just yeah. in your face all the time and I'll just briefly touch on that. I mean, yeah, that was my other dislike. I, I didn't care. For, I don't do side quests usually, and I definitely don't do item collecting. But for those who do, play this game because you'll love it. I did not like it. But all in all, yeah, if that's the way you end with, guess what? It's going to ruin your experience. It did me. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, before before I just put my two cents in about the Kinstones as well, that was my mentality with Mass Effect because like I know... On your podcast, Ethan mm. is a big fan of Mass Effect. Yeah, he's the Mass Effect guy. Yeah, so maybe tell him not to listen to this part. But <laughs> <laughs> like, I was huge on Mass Effect when the first two games came out. I played those to death. I played like two different playthroughs each time. I did a Renegade and I did a Paragon playthrough, two separate characters through the entirety of both of those. And then when the third game came out, I did that as well. And... The ending, which everybody like it's it should be common knowledge now that mm. the ending of Mass Effect Three was highly unsatisfying for a lot of people because right. they had marketed this game from the outset saying your choices will matter. And they had interviews with the developers which say that the ending you get in the final game will be determined by the choices that you've made in the prior games. And that is a huge selling point. Mm -hmm. That's what everybody wants in these kind of games. It's like a choose your own adventure. This is my story, my ending kind of situation. Right. And I mean, I assume everybody knows at this stage that the ending to Mass Effect 3 was choose one of four options. So regardless of whatever you, choices you had made prior, this final choice would determine the ending and it negates everything you've done up to that point. So that soured me so much on the entire series that all of the time that I'd spent, all of the happiness that I had had playing through those games was now null and void mm -hmm. <laughs> because yeah. I feel like I had wasted my entire time getting to that point. And people defend those games and fine, granted they can. They probably have a different mentality to me where right. it's not the ending, it's the journey to get there, mm -hmm. whatever, that's fine. But me personally... The ending has a lot to do with my satisfaction of the game. And because it is the final thing you experience when you're done, especially when it's a trilogy of three games that have been building up to this point. Right. If it's not good, it is going to ruin my opinion of the entire franchise. And that's what happened. <laughs> for, no, for sure. I mean, if for anyone, to, uh, it's all personal experience. So someone could have a yeah. different experience. But yeah, if, if, that, if that's how you feel, I mean, that's just objective truth <laughs> you know yeah i i only talk from from my perspective my opinions exactly so i can only speak for myself and i, I feel like sometimes people if you express a negative opinion about certain things like zelda games for example like this they they take it as a as a personal attack on this on the franchise or the series or whatever um just because i don't like it doesn't mean that it makes your feelings on the game null and void so right. it's like different strokes for different folks play your way <laughs> and that's why we 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 named the podcast that is because we, ethan and i have two different perspectives two different backgrounds when it comes to gaming and we play differently yeah there might be some commonalities and some common ground but you know we're, we're gonna have different opinions and ultimately yeah. 
we're both right. No one is wrong. Like it's all personal ways we play and think. And you know, the, the video games are, are subjective material, like music and, and TV shows. Like there's exactly. it's subjective. You know. Here's the thing that really annoys me though, and this is <laughs> mini, mini rant coming up, and this is another Uh-oh. tangent. Okay. <laughs> but I would be interested to, to to hear what your opinion on this is as yeah. well. But um, I just find that. In any medium, no matter what it is, whether it's a TV show or music or a video game, just because you don't like something doesn't mean that you can outright say that it sucks and tell somebody who likes it that what they like sucks. Right. Because, and, and I feel like this happens a lot, especially in, in gaming where people are like, Zelda fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. You're an idiot for liking Zelda, blah, blah, blah. Like, it becomes a personal attack just because you don't like something doesn't mean that you need to put other people down for liking it. Because- I had this thing on Instagram recently where I had just finished watching Coco on Disney Plus, which is my favorite Disney Pixar film. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those movies where, uh, okay, <laughs> this is embarrassing to say, but um, <laughs> I'm actually a highly emotional person. So when I watch Coco, I cry through that movie like three or four times yeah, in different I, My points. wife has watched it and she, I think she cried as well. Yeah, it makes me bore my eyes out because it's just like one of those things where- um, my triggers are like family things and families mm-hmm. being, uh, I don't know how to describe it other than families being families, really. Right. And family love and expressing all that sort of stuff is something that makes me emotional. So, when I watched that, I posted on my Instagram afterwards and it was a picture of Coco. Uh, I think it was a picture of Miguel, the kid in it, like mm-hmm. strumming the guitar, like one of those, that really beautiful photo where all those pedals are floating up as well. Anyway, I posted that and some person just like messaged me straight after and is like, it's shit. That movie's shit. I'm like, what the fuck? Dang. Why would you like, and I, the text that went along with my story, by the way, was I love this movie. It has to be my favorite Disney Pixar movie. So beautiful or something like that. And then like, what makes somebody see something where someone is expressing an enjoyment of, of a film or a game or whatever. And then immediately their reaction is, nope, it's shit. That's just, oh, I hate that. I hate so, it. It's so I'm unnecessary. Actually, I'm actually surprised that they actually direct message you rather than just commenting straight up, but maybe they're yeah. just being a coward. But No, they direct message me. So this really reminds me of Nintendo Directs, specifically yes. of the very last Nintendo Direct. The amount of... And, and this this concept re- and when, you know, coming through my timeline of, like, people bringing this exact same point out of... You know, it's one thing to sit, like to to be kind of disappointed that maybe your game didn't get announced or your your expectations weren't fulfilled, but like it was kind of a, a like a split road with this February 2021 direct. For the most part, I think people enjoyed it, but there were so many people that had such high expectations. They were mad at people that enjoyed and 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 more so, they would yeah attack or just say negative things about games that people were excited for and like yeah and basically say you shouldn't like that game or that's dumb that you're actually excited for blah 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 specifically diving even deeper splatoon 3 which was the final announcement which objectively speaking splatoon 3 is big like i don't i don't just because you don't play it splatoon 3 is big especially in japan and even here like it's a nintendo views it as a big um franchise for them oh yeah 
and for for me and my wife specifically like we were excited and a lot of people were just like splatoon 3 yeah that, that was that was pretty lame that was that was dumb why would they do that that that's they're not smart oh or, you like that game you know blah, they're blah, blah, saying blah. things a lot harsher than that <laughs> no they were saying those exact words adam and it was no i'm just kidding <laughs> yeah no for sure for sure <laughs> <laughs> so i don't get it i, I saw that too because i watched it live and the the whole like youtube chat thing was open and when mithra uh, sorry when when pyra and <laughs> yeah. mithra were announced for smash i was like oh my god right. oh, i'm so excited and then everyone's like no what boo mm-hmm. i'm like oh what and then like you could almost watch live the the like to dislike ratio yep. like the dislikes were just being like pounded and i'm like oh what the hell and I've just come to the conclusion, and I'm sure that many people have come to this conclusion way earlier than this, but if gamers are so entitled, it is an right. absolute joke. It's like, because a company like Nintendo makes something that you enjoy and and love, that you, you now hold them up to such an unrealistically high expectation and demand them to give you perfection every single time. And right. when they don't deliver, it's the the worst thing in the world like it's so entitled it absolutely irritates the hell out of me like how who do you think you are to say hey this multi billion dollar international company is a piece of shit because they didn't give me breath of the wild 2 on this date right you know? <laughs> i actually think about it uh kind of in similar terms when it comes to like music artists like a lot, a lot this mentality oh, yeah. is there too it was like oh you haven't dropped an album in, in a year or whatever like i need my music now drop it and it's like well what if that person or that business or that company isn't in a position to do so maybe they're working on it and it's just not the right time well guess what yeah exactly yes you're the consumer but you are not entitled you don't deserve anything you don't deserve nothing you know what happens when you demand things cyberpunk 2077 there you go there you go yeah and i hope that that was a learning experience for a lot of people because when when you demand that a game that you're excited for be released then and there then you wind up getting given things that aren't finished no no i think exactly and thankfully i didn't see any come through my timeline on twitter but i think for the most part people were kind of okay with nintendo kind of being transparent and basically saying yeah we don't have any you know breath of the wild to anything except it's 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 going right along it's a it's it's a smooth um development process uh but you know stick with us to the later you know end of the year and we might have some more stuff like i didn't see anyone be like well they didn't drop breath of the wild 2 that is ridiculous why are they still like i hope they did learn a lesson there yeah and i i gotta say like especially we're still like way off topic but especially with that nintendo direct in in particular i have a lot of respect for them for at least having the the director of breath of the wild 2 yes like say on camera hey, we, we know you guys are probably really excited for this, but we apologize it's not ready to be shown. It will be shown when it's ready. But in the meantime, here is Skyward Sword. And I'm like, great, they've addressed it. Let's move on. Um, they've given you a response. Don't be upset about it. Here, look at all this other great stuff that they're giving us. But some people are just so entitled that they're like, this is absolutely unacceptable. I demand I want Skyward, uh, I want Breath of the Wild 2 or whatever. No, I'm glad but you anyway. said that. No, I'm glad you said that. And uh, that'll be my final point of the off topicness is I was I was genuinely surprised that Nintendo was that transparent. I was expecting in, you know, as for as much praise I do give Nintendo because of the quality of their product. And I am a Nintendo fanboy in a sense, you know, they're yeah. not perfect. So I was expecting them to take the business route and just straight up just silence and no Breath of the Wild yeah. 2 content at all. But the fact that they were transparent saying, hey, you know, I know you guys want it. 
just so y'all know, it's still being worked on. It's smooth. And guess what? You might have something for you at the end of the year. Just be patient with us. I was surprised. Yeah, I love th- that. Yeah. That they don't, they didn't have to do that. Exactly. It would have been absolutely acceptable for them to not say anything at all. Exactly. But, you know, they had the forethought to do that. Whereas like other companies would just be like, oh, no Final Fantasy this year <laughs> you know, yeah. or whatever. Exactly. You know, wait another 10 years for Kingdom Hearts 3. Anyway, let's let's get back on track. Yeah, uh, Minish Cap. The final point <laughs> was final point. Kinstones. Uh, my piece on that is I I actually kind of liked them. Really? Yeah. I mean, they were granted. I wasn't collecting. I wasn't going out of my way to collect them. If I came across a person that had a Kinstone that didn't match mine, I would just thought, oh well, tough luck. Moving on. Yeah. If I get back to them next time and I have the Kinstone, fine, I'll do it. But I'm not going out of my way to collect every single one of them. I'm not going out of my way to even uh, when I did match kinstones with people, I didn't even go to the treasure chest that appeared. <laughs> same, same. Okay, here is the irritation. Most of the kinstones, when you use them with an NPC, a treasure chest will appear. And guess what's in the treasure chest? Another kinstone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, or, or just it was just something that I don't really like shells, like mystery shells or something like that. Yeah, don't care. I, I did often feel like in this game that the the reward for the side quest and going out of your way was nothing special. So that was in large part why I refused to do so many of the side quests because I figured, hey, it's been a walk in the park so far. I haven't had any issues with difficulty. I'm probably not going to need any more heart pieces. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That was my mentality at the time. Um, I don't want mystery shells. I don't want any more kinstones. But if I find someone, like I would check with every person if I match their kinstone or not. And I would fulfill it if I did. And I had a sense of satisfaction from doing that. Mm-hmm. But the rewards were just not worth actually going out of my way to go across the map to open a treasure chest for mystery shells or rupees, which I already had the biggest wallet and mm-hmm. could not, couldn't hold any more rupees anyway. So, right. it was just like, well, that's another thing. What the hell are all these rupees for? I've got 999 of them. What do you expect me to spend them on? <laughs> yep, and I, I barely bought anything. I agree. Yeah, I didn't buy anything except for like the boomerang and that was it. But so, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of end with one point because I, I missed one point for the final boss. I'll just briefly share. But yeah, the, I don't do any item collecting or side quests. I will say Kinstones were fun for the first five minutes. I was good after that, even though I still got them. I would find myself pressing the button to connect and, and I would just follow through with it, but I would never go to the treasure chest or the opening of the location. I, I just wouldn't. So, yeah, yeah I, it wasn't for me. It was kind of in your face the entire time and it, it kind of delayed things. But for those who kind of take, want to take their time exploring and collect stuff like that, that is that is a gold mine. That is a great game for you to play. One last thing on the final boss, though, I forgot to say. So there's three phases, which, again, for whatever reason, is the standard. And if you die, you start away from the beginning. I think games need to start taking, and some games do this. For example, I just played uh, in February Planet Robobot, Kirby Planet Robobot on the 3DS. Yeah. There is honestly like six to seven phases of the final boss, which to me is too much. But guess what? You die at the seventh or you die at the sixth phase or you die at the fifth phase. Guess where you restart? At that phase. At the start of that? Yeah. Yes. Please implement that normally for every game. Yep. I mean, this is the only Zelda game I can think of that has a a bunch of enemies in different rooms prior to the boss fight that you cannot right. avoid. Every single other game that I can think of in the franchise. Look, I'm sure there are probably examples that I'm not aware of, but every other single one, 
when you open that boss door, you are fighting the boss. There is nothing between you and right. them other than that boss door. You don't have to go through fighting waves of enemies for no apparent reason, whittling down your health. It's a joke. Anyway. Yeah. I have a couple of other notes here that I actually didn't touch on, though. Okay. I was somewhat disappointed that they reused so many assets from Ocarina of Time. Mm, interesting. So, I don't know if you noticed, but almost all of the sound bites of Link are the exact same sound bites used from Ocarina of Time. So, his death sound, his little huh, those sounds are the same sound bites from Ocarina of Time. I did not know that. Yeah, they also reuse a lot of the music, so mm-hmm. which kind of felt a little bit out of place because I just think that certain tracks and certain games are iconic for those particular games in the franchise. Yeah. Uh, one last minor note, which okay. is a total nitpick. But at some point, after changing size for the first couple of hours, having to do it for the rest of the game, it started to wear thin quite a bit. Mm, good point. And- I also hated the four swords cloning aspect of the puzzles. Ooh, same, same, big same. I really hated those, especially considering that if you even touch something slightly with one of your cloned yep. links, they disappear and you have to do the whole thing again. So I was like, all right, that's. I'm glad I didn't play four swords because oh. also from your podcast, this, the sound of it was that it was not that fun. <laughs> no, yeah, if you didn't like, if you don't like that in the Minish Cap, don't play four swords. Now in in recommendation for all don't play four swords adventures on the gamecube and co-op unless you just go in with the mindset of this is going to be a unique experience it would be better if i played a single player but yeah i will say it was satisfying once you did like you know do the um the multi-sword uh puzzle solving it was it was fun once you finished it but yeah i I would have been fine without it yeah it just it was another one of those puzzle mechanics that i wasn't in love with okay so at the end of the day are you glad that you played it? Are you glad that you finished it? Did you enjoy your experience overall? Um, and would you recommend it? So overall, I am glad that I played it. Um, it I mean, it's it's an underrated Zelda game, but it's also an iconic one that a lot of people like. And so I wanted to see for myself. Uh, so I'm glad that I played it. Um, I'm not okay with the frustration that came about with the end, which does put a bitterness in my mouth for the game overall. Would I recommend it? Yeah, I would still recommend it um, because it's not a traditional uh, Zelda game. This is a good one to kind of get a different perspective and and get a uh, just differentiation for the Zelda series. So I would recommend it. Um, And I, out of one out of 10, and I'm curious for you, Adam, I would probably rank this probably out of a four or five. Four or five out of 10? Yes. Oh, okay. That's a lot lower than I was expecting, but okay. All right. Well, for me... I am not glad that I played it. (laughs) If I think about it in in the broad scope of my life and my gaming life, I could have done without playing it. It wasn't really an enriching experience or anything that I will find particularly memorable other than the frustrations. So, when I look back on this game, all I'm going to think about is the irritation of not being able to be the final boss. Right. I wouldn't recommend it, I don't think. Unless you are a hardcore Zelda fan. Mm-hmm. And I did a little research online as well before recording today. And most people love this game. Mm-hmm. I am in the minority and I fully acknowledge that I am not the hardcore Zelda lover that I used to be. So, those rose tinted glasses that I had right. have been thrown in the trash quite a while ago. And um, looking at this from modern day perspective, I would not recommend somebody to play it who is intimately familiar with modern day Zelda games because it's it really mm. is like going back in yes. time and having to deal with the 
the, the same struggles that games in general had back then. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, play it if you love Zelda. And uh, I suppose my ranking would be... Uh, let me get my flame shield. <laughs> Three out of ten. Oh, I thought you were going to go with the two. Uh, yeah, yeah, makes sense. I was tempted, but I figured, hey, you did a four or a five. A four or a five, I will just go slightly below that. Um, I think a four or a five is already pretty low, so... It is. Uh, you know what? I'll probably go with a four. I think a solid four. There is something yeah. to like about this. I think I'd go with the... If I had to pick one, I'd probably go with the four as well. Okay. Oh, you liked it more than I did, but you agreed on the same rating. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> I don't know if I did like it more than you did. I think I'm just maybe more forgiving less angry and, and less angry, but I am, yeah. no, I, I think time has passed. And so the frustration I had is months away in the past. So maybe yeah. that's the reason. Mine's still very fresh. Yeah. So um, that's fine. Anyway, um, I guess that wraps it up then for today. So that was Zelda Minish Cap for the Game Boy Advance. Thank you for joining me. And where can people find you and your podcast? Yes, this was the first collaboration for us, so it was it was fun. People can find us. Uh, our podcast title is Play Your Way. You can find us on Instagram at the PYW Podcast, Twitter at PYW Podcast, and we also have a Twitch channel that we stream pretty actively on. Uh, and you can find us at Playing Your Way, all one word, Playing Ing. And when is the next Smash Brothers tournament? Because I want to play. Ooh, if we can get some hype and some uh, some interaction there, it might be sooner than later. Okay, well, I'll be pushing for it. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, we played Smash before on his Twitch. Yep. So I hope to keep on playing on their fun. Twitch because mine is not very active. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. Okay, so as usual, you can find me at Bad Backlog on Twitter at Good Bad Backlog on Instagram. And you can find our merchandise at shop.spreadshirt.com slash goodbadbacklog. Yeah, that's about it. So, cool. That wraps it up for the day. Thank you for joining me. And goodbye. 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 Goodbye.